0: Welcome back to uh, How to Tickle Yourself. My name is Luke Froud. I'll be your host today. Uh, Matt McButter is off on vacation, but I've got a guest here today. I've got a a really fantastic individual uh, responsible for many things, but I think the best way uh, to describe him would be New York Times bestselling author. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, today our guest is Duff McDonald. Welcome to the show, Duff.
1: Uh, Thanks, Luke. Great to be here.
0: At the present moments, my love, my dear, oh, everything's connected, this life, this world, it's all right now, right here, right now, right here,
1: right now.
0: Right now. Thank you for spending the time, first and foremost. I know how, um, you know, you don't really like to talk to the media. You sort of keep a, a lot of things inside.
1: J.D. Salinger and I share a lot in that regard. J.D. Salinger, uh, Thomas Pynchon, and I are known, all three of us, as recluses. Uh,
0: the triumvirate, I yeah, think. Yeah, the triad is, is the way to go. <laughs> So um, so I thought we would do something a little bit different this week. Since you're in the hot steam, uh, you know, I've been going over through uh, Tickled, and I, there's some of the concepts in there that I could use a little more juice with. You know, I want to hear a little bit more of what you have to say in the present, which is all there is. Uh-huh. So I want to start off with sort of what I saw as uh, a bit of an unfair thing to do uh, was to ask me to ask questions because every time I uh, sort of went to write a question, I I found myself just uh, rephrasing your concepts in my own words, Mm -hmm. which I think is just a way for for me to remember them. And this could be revealing a little bit too much about myself. I noticed throughout that, you know, numbers get a bad rap and get called on a lot, but it seems as though the real underlying thing is uh, fear, and so it, it didn't take a front seat. You know, you certainly address it and um, you know talk talk a lot about it, but it seemed as though we used numbers as a crutch to mitigate uncertainty, and what is it about uncertainty that unsettles us? It's the fear. It's the not knowing it's, it's a, that's where sort of the root causes the use of numbers is just a symptom. Um, Is this something that you intentionally wrote in there or had thought about um, because it seemed to be an underlying theme that's jumped out at me?
1: Uh, It's a great question. Uh, So and and right on point because in addition to like I have the anti-quantification argument, but I also have an anti-time uh, discussion. And now we count time, right? But but the argument isn't really about the counting of time necessarily. It's about the idea that time even exists. And um, basically, time is a cognitive construct. Yeah, it's not a real thing. There's only now, and the future is basically, as you say, uncertainty. It's what's going to happen, and numbers, as you know, as again, you just pointed out, are one way that we try to get a hold of and um, exert and feel a sense of control over what is happening to us. We look at trend lines. We predict trend lines. And we say everything's going to be okay because this number is going to turn out fine or it's going to get better. But your main point in that question is dead on. It's not numbers that are the problem. They're a symptom of the problem. It's uncertainty and fear about the future. And essentially, um, one of the points I make is we, at some point along the way in our quest for control, we moved from being open to possibility to being concerned with probability and they're two very similar sounding words but they couldn't be more opposite one of them acknowledges that anything can happen and the other one tries to predict what is going to happen and we want to be we want the first and we've drifted into the second
0: okay so We want that.
1: We want certainty. We want to stay open to possibility, right? Got it. You can't can't, like the only thing that you can be absolutely certain about. And I think I've said this once or twice on this podcast is that you exist, right? Mm -hmm. Everything else is up for grabs, including what you are thinking. You can't even be certain of your next thought, right? Mm -hmm. You can't predict your next thought. And instead of um trying to find a way to be comfortable in that uncertainty, what we've done is turned around and used numbers and tried to you know engaged on this endless quest for certainty uh that's sort of taking us out of the moment, especially when we use numbers to try to predict the future
0: okay, so uh, so that being said, what is your personal relationship to fear? After this, you know, awakening from the quarantine, because it's, uh, you know, is it like a you are the fearless or is it that you much like numbers, you recognize that for what it is and don't attach the additional things to it?
1: Yeah. Okay. So what are the things that we we are concerned about? One of them in the West, just because we're so capitalist, is how much money do I have? Do I have enough money? Will I have enough money? And um, for most of my life, especially in my early freelance years when things were a little bumpy, uh, I, if I wasn't working, I was checking the value of my my net worth, uh, my mm-hmm. bank accounts, or 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 market like investments, and you know that continued through most of my adult life, um, and. Always sort of had this sense of a feeling that I needed to be able to predict whether I was going to have the right amount of money six months or 12 months down the line. And Mm -hmm. one thing I realized since 2020 is um, I have spent so much time worried or anxious or concerned about whether I would have the finances to meet my obligations. Mm -hmm. in my entire life, I have never not once been unable to sort out what I needed when I needed it. So on the one hand, you have a lifetime of worry about whether that would be the case. And on the other hand, you have not once was that worrying ever merited. So one thing that I have uh, done a lot less of in the last two years is, uh, look at the value of, uh, look at financial values. I know that, and it's because I know that whatever situation I find myself in, I'm going to do what I need to do. And I know that I will act in my own nature, which is, you know, I try to sort things out. I'm not lazy. Uh, Try to be creative when you need to figure stuff out. And if you know that about yourself, then worrying about sort of a vague theoretical future scenario is pointless. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. pointless. So that's one thing I do a lot less of. Another thing that's related is, you know, we all like to string together stories of the future oh if i do this then that might happen and then what if this happens and then that could Mm -hmm. happen and then everything would be great right and Mm -hmm. um so it's sort of the flip side of anxiety uh but the problem with that is as soon as one of the things that you're predicting doesn't come to pass uh you -hmm. get stuck in this mental jam where you are uh somehow disappointed with the present moment because it didn't match up to a predicted outcome that you made. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and even though whatever's happening may not be so terrible, the fact that it's not what you thought was going to happen becomes a mental drag. Right. Right. It drips you down no matter what. Right. Cause you feel disappointed that uh, the thing yeah. that you thought was going to happen didn't happen. and, I've found that I've been doing less and less of actually predicting my own future. It's hard Mm -hmm. because we all want to be optimists and stuff, but the better way to ensure that you have a future that will be fun and exciting is not to theorize so much about it, but to focus on what you're doing and make sure that you're doing the best you can do at whatever it is that you're doing and in that case your future will come to you right you don't need to predict it and in fact you can't you can only predict a narrow realm of things right like things that you may be able to exercise some control over. You can't predict Mm -hmm. what other people will do. You can't predict like broader things. You can't predict cultural things. We know from COVID that you can't predict major, major, major things. So yeah, like get out of the business of prediction and turn your awareness to what you're doing right now. Right now, do the best job you can of it. And you have nothing to worry about. Because you're doing the best you can do, right? That's all you can do. so those are the two main things I'm not my my level of concern has gone down, and my level of sort of future projecting has gone down uh, and the end result of that is a lot more patience because you're if your mind isn't uh getting pulled out of the present by some kind of theoretical future, then it it turns out that you are you're much better able to deal with whatever's happening instead of trying to sort of fast forward out of it into your preferred or anxious result.
0: Earlier on in the book, you give your, for lack of a better word, you tell your professional story, your sort of development from, uh, you know, a kid wanting a leather briefcase to you know, New York Times bestselling author and uh, author of Tickled the Book. So what you credit throughout, you know, all of the the tumult and transitions from, you know, uh, uh, Goldman Sachs and having debt to, uh, you know, being at Red Herring and, and Red Herring uh, dealing with the, the dot-com bust, it's luck is sort of how you've, it's all luck, how any of these things came to be is sort of how you've described it. So is, isn't there a saying, and excuse me if this isn't the full thing, but sort of luck equals like preparation plus timing. Sure. Uh, if you're crediting luck to a lot of these things, like is is preparation, a is there a specific term, form of preparation involved in the self or uh, is uh, luck just a factor that we have to accept alongside The factors like fear and, um, you know, calm and peace and joy and tickle.
1: So I've gone uh, far off the other end of that. Well, um, Joey was the one who pointed me to the whole notion of we're not the doer. The ego thinks it's the doer. You are not the doer. Your mind is is claiming credit for things that are happening that you would have done, whether or not you were thinking about them or not, because you will act in your own nature. So luck is basically another way of saying um, things happen, right? And what you want to be able to do is to be able to react, to be in a position to react to things that happen. Right, so I would turn I would say, I don't the preparation plus um timing is that what it was? luck is preparation plus timing it's something or? something along those lines. Yeah, I think we overvalue uh doership in the West, but there's another way to think about preparation, which is you all you want to be in the game, right? This is a game. it is the play of consciousness, and what you want to do is be doing things. So that things can float into the realm of opportunity and consciousness for you. So if you're not doing stuff, no luck will come to you because luck doesn't land on the guy who's sitting on the couch stoned playing video games. Right. Luck, luck, you know, lands on the guy who's out doing the thing, who meets the random person who happens to know this thing and they get and you end up doing something together or you get an idea out of it. So to me, I made a couple like decisions in my life that um, were a little jarring, one, to leave Wall Street, two, to try writing books uh, you know, a couple different jobs, and then, you know, finally tickled being a departure. And the looking back at them, I don't claim credit for, um, oh, I'm such a genius. Look at the decision I made. But what I do think I have shown an ability to do is to respond in the moment to a new thing. And to say, you know what, I might as well. Why not, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of, oh no, I don't want to do that. It's not the thing that I do, right? So, if you could characterize my career, you know, in in a number of ways, but what one of them is that it just sort of switches direction occasionally.
0: As you mentioned, some very serious moments. It was a big swing from you know what would be considered reliable and comfortable and certain, right? You're okay with, you know what the outcome's going to be.
1: Right. And then it's, it just comes down to something felt wrong and then something else felt right. And it's like, you know what, this is the time to make this move. And uh, I was not present in most of my life. So I can't really claim it was from presence. I don't know what it was from. It was from a, maybe a little more uh, comfort with uncertainty I wasn't that worried, like money wasn't a great motivator for me, and uh, never has been. And I never had a uh, uh, "I must do this thing uh, that took me over. Like a lot of people, you know, know what they're going to do and just go all the way from the very beginning, like uh, okay. the bard himself, Bob Dylan. But like for me, it was like I've been more flexible about correcting, doing course corrections when something just didn't seem like it was working anymore.
0: So it was, uh, you know, you weren't aware of, of the presence. It was just that the lack of, it was a sort of negative purpose. It was not that you knew what you wanted to do. You were establishing what you didn't want to do.
1: Exactly. And there's, um, you make a great point because I bring this up in a bunch of different ways in the book. We are very focused on uh, the p- sort of positive materiality of things in the West, right? The thing that I know, the thing that I do, the thing that I am good at. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of my, the revelations I had in 2020 was, and it's a personal revelation, like other people have known this for years, like none of the stuff in Tickled is new to humanity. It's new to me. Uh, mm-hmm. there was, I suddenly realized, oh, my God, the ratio of things we don't know th- to things we do know is almost infinite, right? You know a tiny little sliver of, of the truth of knowledge, mm-hmm. the, that which one can learn in a single human life, paying as much attention as you did along the way, right? Compare that to all the things that you might have done otherwise, right you could mm-hmm. if you'd made different decisions anywhere along the way you would have a different knowledge set right so you are but right. one out of but an infinite set of outcomes of you and then compare yourself to me or to anyone else you are but one of an infinite set of outcomes among all people and a different time so basically one set of uh your uh, i read somewhere recently it's a great thing Human beings, like each of us, we are an aggregate of cause and effect. You are something that happened, right? Each of us is a t- tiny sliver of that, but we overvalue what we think we know in favor of what we don't know when we should be doing it the other way. We should be much more open to what we don't know. We should be m- much more open to what we haven't done. We should be much more open to uh, things that other people know. Versus what we know, because they have an entirely different life experience and have a completely novel way of looking at something compared to you, and you know we get we're at this point point in our country where we basically demand that people see things the same way we do or we hate you right, right. when what we should be doing is like you said um it's a i found it i have found it's a hugely powerful thing to use the negative as opposed to the positive in the Venn diagram or whatever it is to keep Mm -hmm. yourself open to things that you don't know about.
0: Right. Cause it's not, you know, you're not putting all of your chips on one number. You're saying I'm taking my chips off of that number and I'm still, I've still got bets in play uh, along the table. I don't know if if you can tell, but I've never played roulette, but I'm assuming (laughs) that's how it goes. (laughs) Well, Um,
1: (laughs) depends how many chips you have, right? So, but, but you you make a good point. It's like so much of our culture is about uh, picking a course, picking an idea, uh, leaning into it, doubling down, and going all in. Right mm-hmm. when you know that can work out for sure, but we do ourselves a great disservice by um, overvaluing our own experience and our own knowledge in light of the fact that we are but a infinitesimal part of the truth and other people, other experiences, uh, have way more to offer us than we seem to be able to acknowledge.
0: Interesting. So I'm trying to think of a way to breach this. Uh, There's a film that just came out recently. Um, did you see
1: everything everywhere all at once? I did. We, uh, saw it on Amazon actually. I, you know, I guess I knew, but I didn't know. I don't think that you can actually see if you're willing to pay 20 bucks right, while a movie get- is still in the theaters, you can watch it on, at home. Yeah. So we watched it at home. What a, what a great movie.
0: It was fantastic. And it, you know, one of the the big questions in the film is sort of if nothing matters, then what's the point versus nothing matters. So there's nothing to worry about. Right. And what I'd like to hear is, is your take. Cause I, I, I didn't pick up on maybe sort of glances on it in the book, but the, the, what's the point in trying if nothing matters, or if we're all the same thing, you know, then where do I begin and where do you end the sort of enemy or, um, Wanderlust, the drifting alone, where, where does that fit in with the ticklish or how would you reach out to somebody who's convinced that that's what, the, what it, what it means to say that.
1: So, nothing matters here? so here's how I would respond to that. There, it, the Vedantists will tell you that there is only one thing, right? And that is mm-hmm. the self, the self of all. And the, one of the implications of that is if there's only one thing uh, that we're all God, we're all just a, uh, you know, God has little viewfinder cameras out here on earth. And he's, he's watching this show that he put together through sentient objects, right? We're all, we're all little cameras. A fiber optic network. Yeah, fiber optic network, right? What do you think we're all this stuff we're building externally? It's mimicking the interconnectedness of all things. So if it's all one thing, then there is nothing to be afraid of. Because if you're the only thing, then there is no other. So if there's nothing to be afraid of, then there is nothing to be concerned about as regards the future. Things are going to happen. And in nature... Nature has its own laws, right? So you will run into other sentient beings in nature and interact with them. But what you can do is shift to a mode of wait. If we're all one thing, I should have the same love for everyone as I do for the self and we can interact in a way where uh there is no edge, there is no anxiousness between us and we can um Get the most out of our interactions. So, stepping back though, it doesn't actually have to lead to uh, nothing matters, right? If we're not the doer, what it can lead to is there's nothing to be concerned about. So, therefore, enjoy this. It is a play of consciousness, right? So, basically, you are starring in a play about a miracle. Called you. And what you need to do is remember that role that you are a miracle that's happening. The fact that you exist is a miracle, right? We all know the thing about you know, the butterfly effect of you don't want to go back in time and, you know, head your grandfather off at the pass or else you won't even exist. So we know mm-hmm. there are an infinite number of things that had to happen for you to exist. And so there are an infinite number of things that had to happen for the people that had to exist for you to exist. You can go back two generations and you're already in infinite upon infinite, right? So you are an infinite miracle, right? And if you're an infinite miracle and it's only one thing, then you might as well just enjoy it. And instead of being worried about being right, being worried about other people, being worried about whether you have enough, being worried about whether you have the respect that you think you deserve, being worried about the future, being uh, regretful about the past, you can focus on the thing that is happening and try to taste what the yogis call the rasa, right? Or the essence of a thing, which I call the tickle. And the tickle is really simple, right? All the good things in life tickle, every single one of them. Whether it's something tickling your tongue in the terms of food, an idea tickling your mind, an experience like a physical experience tickling your body, Or the act of creation tickling your soul, right? Giving, creating something in the world. So all those things tickle, but they only tickle when they're happening. You cannot remember a tickle. You cannot anticipate a tickle. Well, you can anticipate it, but you can't actually invoke the feeling of it, right? So, right,
0: it's not it's not a button you can press on demand. Right, not, it's, it's, like, not, it's like it's like
1: orgasm, right? You can't you can't be like, oh, I remember that orgasm. You don't remember that orgasm. You remember that it was awesome, right? So, right. um, so with all the tickles, they only take place in the now. So, focus on what's happening to you when you feel the tickle. Grab onto it. And hang on for dear life. It doesn't mean be a hedonist, right? It means engage, be present in your own life and be there and, you know, be there so things can happen around you. And when they happen, you can enjoy them and get the rasa out of them and basically just float through your life enjoying the mere fact that you exist and that doesn't mean you can't do important things it doesn't mean you can't be helpful to other people it doesn't mean that sometimes things are a little crazy like in an emergency situation but it does mean that if you are fully present that you can feel what it's like to have a meaningful existence and it turns out if now is eternal as we were talking about before the only thing you need to do is focus on being in the now being here now and making sure that you are present in your own life and if you can do that then you realize that it feels great to just exist right why do we not why do people who go through you know have a bad period or some skid why don't why doesn't everybody just kill themselves Right. Some people do. But why don't all of us kill ourselves when when shit goes wrong for a little bit? Why? Because it's fucking amazing to exist. And even though we don't say that out loud, we know that. Right. That's Mm -hmm. why you can. That's why you so many of the things you do are actually in an effort to ensure the continuation of your existence. That's what uncertainty is all about.
0: There's there's an interesting thing in there that you brought up because I uh I did try to kill myself and I was institutionalized in a in a psych ward after that event and uh, I would say that my uh mentality throughout my life has like uh has graced uh, sort of like grazed uh, the tickle verse in in waves and in ebbs and flows sometimes longer than others But um, one of those uh, moments was my the first morning waking up in that psych ward because what it was, other than a terrible experience, was I was control was taken away from me absolutely. Even if I wanted to assert control on something, and I did, I had no ability to. So it actually put me in that situation to hey slow down. You're here. There's nothing you can do about it. The things that you're worried about, they can't happen. They're not there. You are just here right now. And that's what you have to deal with. And it was a, it was a moment where it wasn't, again, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't internal. It was an external thing that went, oh, oh, I either need to accept that I have no control or I'm going to actually go crazy.
1: So, um, you know, I, I feel like my own rev- like awakening was was um, put on me from outside too during quarantine. So we do mm-hmm. the things we do, and then suddenly we're put in a situation where it snaps us out of a fog we were in. But to your mm-hmm. point here, I just read this from the Dalai Lama yesterday. Oh, perfect. If a problem is fixable... If a situation is such that you can do something about it, then there is no need to worry. If a problem is not fixable, then there is no help in worrying. There is no benefit in worrying whatsoever. So suddenly we realize, and it's a good thing that you were an amateur at suicide. Thank God you weren't a pro. (laughs) Uh, that (laughs) you, you get, you get, you get snapped out of, um, and we're glad that you're here and but you get snapped out of a, a thought pattern that's been working against you. And there's some, you can have a moment where you're like, oh, wait, actually, this is amazing that I'm here. And that's Mm -hmm. like you said, that's the tickle there. We have experiences all day long where if we weren't so distracted, we would all feel that tickle more. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is, or sorry, what worked for me is focusing in on those things that bring joy to me because they tickle. Things that irritate you don't tickle, so don't focus right. on them. And right. uh, that which you give you know, focus to expands. Focus on those things that tickle, and soon you'll be able to feel like it'll be more apparent because you're not distracting yourself by getting irritated about shit that you don't need to be irritated about or concerned or worried or regretful or any of that because there's only now right. whichever word you and you know. There's only now, so like in most situations, if we ask ourselves, Oh my God, why am I getting so worked up? Is everything okay right now? The answer is generally yes, right in some situations, you could be in a um a crisis situation, a situation. right, but in those ones, you're not generally thinking about how everything sucks. you're doing what needs to be done, so Um, the thing that we need to get better at is stopping the, all this thinking about how everything sucks. Like I was at a dinner last weekend and one of the guys I was talking to basically gave me this spiel for 15 minutes about how everything sucks. And we were looking out at the Ashokan reservoir from a really high view it was a beautiful view. And he finished after a little bit going on. And I stopped and I looked at him and I said, but everything's all right right now, right? And he Mm -hmm. was like, "Yeah, actually, yeah, it is." And I was like, "Right. So, in fact, everything's actually great right now, and now is all there is. So, whatever you were just saying was all speculative." And you know, it's it turns out. So I stumbled into presence by accident. I'm trying my damnedest to stay there, but it turns out the more focus you put on trying to stay there, the better you get at it. And, you know, there's a bunch of crossovers. Like like I said, the Vedanta say there's only one thing, the self, right? Mm -hmm. You could also just call that now. You could call it existence. There are some sort of fundamental principles, right, that Mm -hmm. sort of tower above everything else. You exist. That's great, right? Uh, There is only now. It's the only thing. So focus on it. The self is all. So treat everything as one. They're all sort of circling around the same idea, which is stop with all the thinking. Stop with all the concerns. Focus on the one thing that's real. And that is what is happening to you. And let let it roll, baby. We're back to roulette again.
0: Yeah, we're still letting it roll. So. I- uh, I want to uh, I want to thank our guest today, Duff McDonald, for um, being here, uh, a, a great writer, a great friend, uh, and exceptionally kind. So, um, I thought I would end today just uh, with uh, with I've got one
1: for you. What? Who's in control of this show?
0: Sir, please can, can we cut his <laughs> mic off production? Can we just pull the plug? Uh, So I've got one for you today, and uh, this is from a little bit back in the day. So grave robbers used to be referred to as resurrection men, and it's really just all about how you label it.
1: So are you saying that you refer to current, like if you hear about a grave robber today, do you say (laughs) actually it's their resurrection men?
0: Right. You're not going to see the New York Post headline with like resurrection men strike again. Right. And I'm just trying to bring it back, bring it, put it into the consciousness of now.
1: Always look at the yeah. right side. Uh, we'll give you full points for that one because it's a great example of it's all just your point of view. And here's another one to close out like we normally close with Orya Bindo. We'll close with a quote from Swami Vivekananda. He's got this book called Meditation and Its Methods. And he was talking about, um, you know, we were talking about knowledge during this show and I talk in the book, but also we've spoken about it on the podcast that, uh, the idea that knowledge isn't something that is outside of you. It is something that is inside of you waiting to be discovered or uncovered, right? We are all infinite knowledge. And here's his quote. It's amazing. He says, knowledge is inherent in man. No knowledge comes from outside, it is all inside. What we say a man knows should, in strict psychological language, be what he discovers or unveils. What a man learns is really what he discovers by taking the cover off his own soul, which is a mine of infinite knowledge. We say Newton discovered gravitation. Was it sitting somewhere in a corner waiting for him? It was in his own mind. The time came and he found it out. All knowledge that the world has ever received comes from the mind. The infinite library of the universe is in your own mind. On that note, thank you, Luke. Thank you, Duff. For uh, joining us again on this show. We'll have you back soon. And thank you, listeners. We'll be back with you next week. Just blue. the present moment traveling town to town mystery of the motion right here right now right here right now
0: whoa right here right now Been listening to "How to Tickle Yourself" with your hosts Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the tunnel under Arundel. Right here, right now. Our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of The Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck Labella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C-Media.com. My love, my dear.